Welcome, bienvenue, to the Fantasy Tools Podcast. This is a show where fantasy tools discuss fantasy tools. I'm your host, Eric Rentz, and I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Peterson. Our mission is to discuss fantasy baseball and the tools that we're developing that help us manage our teams. Cue that intro music. Game of Thrones is over for fourteen months, maybe some some number time. of some large number of months. There's where we got a long time before we even have any leaked set pictures. I mean, we we got a while to wait. But before we get into the new shows that we might be watching, let's review that. Let's review the episode a little bit. Review first of all, obviously key important over unders. Uh, the dragon breath temperature, I was pretty nervous when, you know, the first blue shot out of its mouth. But then it melts the wall. So it has to be hot, right? But does it melt the wall? It's like sort of inconclusive. I know. I spent a bunch of time thinking that too, because I I went back and did some freeze frames. Like, is the is the wall does the wall look like it's melting or does it just look like it's coming apart? Is this some sort of weird magical just power breath instead? Like, yeah. I think it's more of like a, I think it's more of like a power breath. Okay. I mean, I don't even know what that is, but yeah, I don't, I don't, cause I don't think there's any real melting going on, and it was so cold. Well, we didn't because even when it even when you see the guys on top of the wall fall into the beam, it doesn't look like they're burning. It's t- it's it's a tough thing to tell. So I think we got it. I think it's under. It's under. It's under zero degrees. And then uh, you're slightly confusing over under on the number of men that Cersei is accused of sleeping with by Jamie. It's a tough one. Can we make a conclusive case that anyone was actually accused or just strongly insinuated that something might have happened with Euron? Just strongly insinuated. I, we, I don't know if we can say it's accused. Yeah, it's not. It wasn't. It wasn't clear enough. I mean, I was. I thought. I thought the sentence right after you conspired with him without me or like you strategized with him without me. I thought it was going to be like something about, and you also slept with him or, but like, is the child even mine? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Weird that he says that here, you know, this, this has been a season of confusing motives. <laughs> Absolutely. So what are your thoughts on the execution? I'm glad that they showed his death on screen. That pretty much had to happen. Yep. But I dislike basically everything about how they set up that story arc this year. <laughs> oh yeah, it was very, very annoying. I mean, we we commented on this, so like, who's Arya getting stuck in a Littlefinger lie? Why is he just doing his normal stuff? And like, why is Sansa keeping him around? It's like he sold her to the Boltons. Like, why would she ever trust him? All of it doesn't make sense. Does Arya take his face? Yes. Okay. We see Littlefinger on screen again. Ooh. Should we uh, should we bet box that? <laughs> Man, we got to store these somewhere. Yes. Oh, yeah. We have to remind ourselves not to forget about this one. Um, yeah. Let's uh, times episodes Littlefinger or episodes um, 
the actor who's playing Littlefinger is featured in? The line is going to be 1.5. You want it to be 1.5? And then I would take the, I would take the under on that because I like, if the line is 0.5, I would take the over. I think that's it. I'm going to take the over because I could see it being a two episode arc. But what are we going to do now to distract ourselves? What are we going to talk about? I mean, you've got a couple of things listed here. Bojack Horseman is coming. Not quite the replacement to Game of Thrones, though. I think we we need to plan a watch session on this. I'm thinking like two episodes a week. Okay, I can do that. Yeah. Or is it? Are they dumped? Is it going to be just one big dump dump or is it one big dump? Okay. I can't guarantee that I'll only watch two episodes a week, but maybe we talk about two episodes. Just discuss it. It's, it's really hard because you get into those and you like watch like four of them and you forget everything that's happened. They're so good. And as anyone who listened to the pod last year knows, we will definitely be ramping up our Star Wars speculations and discussions. I mean, a lot has happened over the summer that we just haven't had time to talk about. I know. I mean, like we barely glance the surface did we even did our talk about um ron howard even make it into Hmm. the the podcast (sighs) no this no everything is crazy we're missing a lot of stuff i've had miniature rants about obi-wan kenobi and probably a rant or two about ray anyways yeah no we're gonna have to get back into the star wars the machine is is heating up that absolutely is and then you put one on here Cuckoo's Calling. Robert Galbraith, one of our favorite authors. Yep, that is right. Did you? It, it premiered last night, right? It did. I have not watched it, so I am curious. All right. It's going to be one of those. It's going to be one of those BBC things where it's like three episodes, three like two hour long episodes, like the Sherlock. <laughs> uh, fun, but then once they're over, you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. No, it's just enough to look forward to, but then it's very fast. You go through them really fast. If any of our listeners have any suggestions for two fantasy or science fiction-minded guys, we're all ears. All right, this week, two different looks at an interesting topic here, the idea of the relationship between doubles and home runs. I'm going to sort of set the stage a little bit, and I'm going to challenge myself to include a principal component analysis element to this. Nice. Then Eric is going to build on some of the stuff that I talked about last week, the idea of age curves, but he's got an interesting spin on it looking at doubles and home runs. So here we go. I'm not sure how you want to say this, but I'm going to say it as that there's an, there's a phrase out there, a certain school of thought that doubles are really just failed home runs. So I was thinking, can we test that? Can we suss out anything about luck about doubles versus home runs? And what can we learn from looking at the two? And then when I started looking at this, I realized that it wasn't going to be quite that simple. And then I tried to make it more simple. And then I, of course, made it more complex. As you know, all of our tools are wont to be. Yeah, it it happens really fast, doesn't it? You just simplify things a little bit. And then, and then all of a sudden you're 100 lines of code in. <laughs> So what I did is I looked at the players from last week. So we actually have a little bit of context already. So if you missed some of our discussion about hitters last week, looking at the top 10 
the top 10 overall and then the top 10 what we would call the the uh, older or experienced gentleman in the league as well try to intuitively build a model and sort of build the target that we're that we're striving for in order to pick up those guys you might not expect to extract some some home run value from okay uh so what did i do so the first thing that i did was i built the field i took all of the guys with more than 200 plate appearances and asked how many singles, how many doubles, how many triples, how many home runs do they have this year. So what I made is the background here, the grayscale, um, is just showing the relationship between a bunch of these. So I plotted four different plots, uh, singles versus triples, doubles versus triples, singles versus home runs, and doubles versus home runs. Remember, the plot that we're really interested in is this doubles versus home runs plot to see if there's a clear correlation and see if the guys that you really want, because remember home runs are of course the stat that you're chasing, see if there's um, a, a specific spot in parameter space that they lay. Now I picked the top 10 guys again, Nolan Arenado, Bryce Harper, Joey Votto, Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, Jose Altuve, Paul Goldschmidt, Charlie Blackman, in some order, however you want to call this, and I plotted their specific points on this. The first thing that you see, as one might expect, uh, they are all big-time outliers on all of these plots. <laughs> yeah, they really are. Yeah, it's interesting looking at this graph of your 30 for 30 players. They are a lot more tightly clustered which seems mm-hmm. to indicate that there is that there has to be some sort of relationship between these statistics. Yes, and bearing in mind, once I made that plot, I had that exact same thought. Oh, there has to be some sort of underlying space here that describes these um, together. Earlier in the year, we did um, a bunch of k-means to try and reduce the dimensionality of this problem before, but one thing that Eric suggested to me last week for a slightly different problem but still uh, falling under the same principle is that we could actually try and use PCA to figure out if there was an embedded space under here. So is there some sort of... So the goal is to take a three-dimensional space and plot it in two dimensions and then look for the interesting area in that two-dimensional space that tells you where all the good players are. So I went back to the top 10 guys thinking once I run PCA on this, these are the guys that I'm going to want to track. So then what I did is I applied PCA principal component analysis. And what that does is it looks for some sort of metric in geometric space that best describes the data. So essentially if you had a perfect, that's right. If you had a perfect system, you would think about, subtracting the mean first so that you can just see what the variance is. In this case, you're extracting some higher order mean from the three-dimensional data to try and minimize or take out the most amount of variance in the data first. So we're going to call that, I'm calling that colloquially here, component one, component zero, of course, because you and I love to index from zero. Yep, start from zero. And then the next one that I looked at was component one. So ideally, these two components should describe the data very well and should give us a better way to get our head around this weird three-dimensional space and figure out what the the real hitter value is here. 
All right, so I did that. PCA, ran it on this, and lo and behold, these top 10 guys, they sit in a pretty unique area of this PCA space. What do you think looking at this plot right off the bat? Yeah, it's it's not your prototypical kind of um, space where the positive outliers would be. But, um, you know, that's the thing about PCA is that the numbers actually don't mean anything by themselves. This, <laughs> yeah. They mean something within the context and relationship with the other values. So it's very interesting. So you've got, um, so looking at this graph right here, we've got a cloud of points as would be typical of PCA. We've got all of the um, highlighted players to the, um, well, I'll just call it the upper left. Uh, yeah, upper left of the of the graph space. Bryce Harper is a real huge outlier, even within that group of outliers. Yeah, he is. So, what what it turns out? Let me just give try and give you some sort of understanding. So, the first thing I usually try to do is come up with some intuitive understanding of what is being used here. So I drew three lines on here. The first line, these are all theoretical curves. The dotted line on here is if the is if you had never hit a single single this year. You only hit doubles and home runs. That's what the that's what the transformation would look like. Oh okay. So this is telling you that um, basically the component zero is sort of akin to how many hits you got overall because okay. you can see that this all fans away from that the solid line is if you hit no home runs this year so the space and then mm -hmm. there's there's a dashed line on here that is if you hit no doubles you only hit singles and home runs but this the uh, the points are all bounded in by the no no singles and no home runs lines suggesting that those are really helping you to form the underlying metric here and you're really trying to maximize in terms of quality the guys that are hitting a lot of home runs relative to their number of singles yeah what I did then is I zeroed in in this this planar space that's telling you um, what what quantities you want to maximize and I made a sort of PCA candidate list for high hitting values, specifically thinking about home runs. And I got to say, you're going to like this one. <laughs> number one yeah. guy on the list, number one PCA candidate for, for continuing with the home runs and find they find basically in this metric that it's completely believable that their home run production is out there. Justin Upton. Nice. You're welcome. You can officially keep him now. We did. We applied some advanced metrics to this and verified that he actually deserves all the home runs he's hit. No, I, I had no choice, but um, it is good to know <laughs> that I'm not not on a fool's errand. Interesting point. I mean, it took him a year to adjust to AL hitting, but he is he's back. Yeah, his so his hitting profile screens like a bunch of the other top ten guys. So the nice thing about this PCA is that you really see a clear cluster here of Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, Jose Altuve, Paul mm -hmm. Goldschmidt, Charlie, um, Charlie Blackman a little bit, and Joey Votto. So this identified a bunch of really interesting guys, and it, it identified it's not – the PCA is not married to only pulling out guys with gaudy home run titles this year. It's telling you here are guys with really healthy batting profiles. 
um, that you might be able to expect something from. Um, and there's some there's some good guys that you would expect on this list, guys that do have high home run totals. Um, Nolan Arenado is on this list. Um, Gary Sanchez is on this list. Josh Donaldson is on this list. But then you find some other interesting guys, guys that you might expect to be a little bit on the edge, Jen Jerko, Mike Napoli. Um, and then you find some, some real surprises, um, guys that are, that maybe haven't been in the league too long are up and coming. Um, a guy that I had on my minor league squad for years, Albert Almora. Um, there's, there might be some, some real value there. Alex Bregman is actually much to my chagrin profiling, like a good Uh. hitter, (laughs) much to your chagrin as well. Domingo Santana's on here, interestingly. Um, even probably some guys you might not have heard of before. Daniel Descalso is on here. Manny Pena is on here. Um, Scott Schiebler? Wow. Yeah, that's also really surprising. Interesting that these guys appear on this list. Um, and we might try and we might try and do something with this. I'm certainly going to track these guys over the rest of the season. I'm curious why PCA identified them as having a similar um, hit profile or singles, doubles, home run profile as these top 10 guys. Yeah, there are some interesting ones in there. I'm really interested in Domingo Santana. I mean, we watched him Uh um, flub up in the outfield, but we knew that he was a good hitter. Um, Keon Broxton, if he can come back, not just to stay in Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. Um, Eduardo (laughs) Escobar, that's kind of interesting. I think there's been... A lot of talk here in this state, in Minnesota, about when is he going to take another step. And he's shown some flashes this year. Um, And then, you know, Jose Abreu, don't forget about him. Next year, don't forget about him. Quick takeaways on this. To first order, right, it passed the smell test immediately. We saw the top 10 guys all cluster in one particular area of space we're able to sort of make a very rough explanation of why the dimensions look like they do. And it helped us identify some stuff that we can actually test. I don't know that we're ready to release this to the prime time. I'm not telling everybody to go out there and invest in a million shares of Colton Wong right now, but (laughs) I'm going to keep an eye on this, see if we can figure out anything else about the space um, and go from there. As you just heard in my section, Eric and I like to push each other to use different techniques. Here's one technique that you might be seeing in an upcoming episode. All of this is just like, you know, we do these static, like statistical models and stuff, and then all of a sudden the other person says, hey, how about this one game theory <laughs> idea? <laughs> like, I, know. I know, I know. Oh, we probably yeah, we probably need to do a game theory special at some point here, but uh, yeah, I know, yeah, the um, eighty twenty rule needs to needs to Ooh. come up here soon. There is an adage in baseball that doubles age into home runs. The logic goes that a player can, a player that can hit for a lot of doubles while he is young will age into some muscle and be able to push balls out of the park. MP, how much have you bought into this idea directly or indirectly? Oh, well, I think my ownership of Christian Yelich must tell you something <laughs> about my belief here. <laughs> yeah, right. I At first, I had this, this question worded a little bit differently, and I realized that it was uh, way too fishing. It, may, it asked, like, do you believe in this idea? But 
we all hope that the younger guys are going to get better, and we all know that some of the more interesting names of younger guys are the ones that we want to gravitate towards. But we don't want to actually believe in this kind of like this old idea. It's like, oh, it's, doubles aren't going to actually turn into home runs. But, you know, when you indirectly look at it, yeah, I mean, that's why I kept Upton for some years. And, and finally, it's, I guess, bearing fruit. <laughs> so in the past, I've heard a few debates about this adage because there is not a statistical basis um, for the argument. There's no real evidence for it. Um but the adage for fantasy is adopted from the mean streets of the scouting beat instead of the ivory towers of the statistician. So, Mike, I don't think that we've addressed the scouting versus statting battle directly too much, but um, do you get more of your players from the scouting side or the stat head side? I get more of my player pickups from the scouts, actually, because... I don't trust anyone else to run stats. So if I'm taking input from anyone else, it's the stuff that I don't feel that I'm very good at, the watching guys' individual swings and evaluating oh, yeah. those. But I feel like I have a better handle on the numbers. No, I I totally agree with that. The hard part about trusting other statisticians is that it will inevitably, and I mean, it's probably the same for us. Someone's probably sitting out there being like, what the heck PCA what methods did Mike use? Did he, you know, did he normalize his day? <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Um, and I think the same thing every time I hear someone um, <laughs> make an argument like there's no proof that doubles turn into home runs. It's statistically not true. <laughs> I actually had this debate. Um, this will be an aside that will probably make it in. Actually, I was <laughs> debating with my sister about um, clear clustering algorithms that are used online to like mm. the sorting hat kind of website things that say like yes. you're a Hufflepuff, you're a Ravenclaw, you're a Slytherin, and it's like, and I was she was like getting frustrated because like, oh they always put me in Ravenclaw, and I said well. If you think about it, that makes total sense because you're taking this test with a hundred million other people. You're not taking it with like a school of a hundred classmates. So if you if you have any intelligence and any sort of like puzzling skills, it's gonna put you in there. You're talking about the whole population rather than just like, you know, the small group of your friends. And it's never going to be sensitive right. enough. What an interesting problem. And the same thing we have, yeah, the same thing we have in the same thing we have in fantasy because oftentimes we're looking at the universe of players, but we really want to be looking at that upper echelon of players. And I was thinking about that a little bit as I was doing this analysis. Mm -hmm. So, anyways, let's get back to the crux of the biscuit here. I started by, <laughs> I started down down the road in this and um, had to make a bit of a U-turn, and um, Mike and I will <laughs> talk about that a little bit. But I started this by really plotting out doubles, home runs, and um, doubles, two home runs, mm -hmm. um, all by age, just to see like uh, you would expect there to be a nice normal curve around some, you know 
some age where there was like a 27 is what Bill James says, a, a ultimate age of fitness in MLB. But Mike, I've, uh, I've given you some graphs. What are you noticing here? There's kind of, if you squint a little bit, a U-type shape where the doubles um, peak at the ends. Maybe the, the young end is a little bit higher, which, again, would be supportive. The average home runs is a little bit the opposite. Um, still a little bit of a positive trend. And the doubles to home runs is a little bit decreasing. So I would say that there may actually be some truth to the adage, just looking at these, but you also nicely plotted several years to give us a sense of what the noise looked like. If there is a trend, it is in the noise for sure. Right. It is a signal in the noise. So I've got here, I, I plotted out for Mike, um, 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016, the X axis is age. And then the Y for each one of these graphs and the Y, Y axis is the, um, average of doubles and as i mentioned home runs and then the ratio of doubles to home runs so it's interesting to be able to follow you know the age so like i'm looking right now at the red graph it has um in 2013 average doubles it has a huge peak at the very start of 20 at the age 21 and then it decreases sharply and then comes back up and then and it plateaus, and then it goes back down, and then it comes back up around the end. And as Mike and I were kind of batting this around, or before Mike and I were batting this around, I, I had this realization that, um, you know, number one, we have really small samples at either end of this, of this graph because there aren't that many 21-year-olds. This starts with 21, and it goes to 35. There aren't 20, many 21-year-olds, not many 35-year-olds in the MLB. So the ones that are there have to be good enough to be doing something, right? So it's not that surprising that you would have some some wonder kid in there. Hey, maybe 21. <laughs> when I first did this analysis out, it was looking really, really good, too good to be truthful. And I was looking at specific examples, and then I realized... Um, that the model that I was building didn't work for other players. And I realized that I needed to normalize all of this by a certain number of at-bats to kind of give hmm. a true sense for what was happening. And so this sort of exacerbates that, that trend on either end, hmm. which is hmm. to say that like some wonder kid who comes up for half a season, you know, who's a fireball might be able to get um, on this up to, 40 doubles but in real life he only hit like 16 that's right so you're saying some uh some reese hoskins action here <laughs> right exactly but as mike said there is definitely a signal in the noise and um i'm gonna do a little bit more work over the coming weeks to see if i can tease that out a little bit more do a little bit more comparison of actual players and so that's the next level here mike i've got a couple more graphs for you um I'm looking at the guys who were born in 1990. Um, That was an an amazing year for um, fantasy baseball players. Listen to these names. Freddie Freeman, Eric Hosmer, Gene Segura, Salvador Perez, Jose Altuve, Juan Carlos Stanton, Andrelton Simmons, 
Starlin Castro? I thought he was ancient. Matt Dominguez and Anthony Rizzo. That is that is a good group of players. All the same. That's age. a crazy list. So the graphs that I created, um, I looking at those players who were born in ninety, I, I picked out four of those guys, Jose Altuve, Gene Segura, Eric Hosmer, and Anthony Rizzo, and I and I plotted out for Michael, it's a little bit harder to read than I meant meant it to be, but I plotted out the doubles as well as the home runs. The only player that it seems like there are two players here that seem to be actually trading uh, not even. Um, there's only one player who's trading doubles for home runs, and that is Eric Hosmer. Yeah. I you know, if you if you blindfolded me and told me to guess which one of the four it was, I would have said Rizzo, just from you know, looking yep. at his player profile, I would have said somebody's gonna trade doubles for home runs, it's gonna be Anthony Rizzo. Um I guess Eric Hosmer would have been second. I would have thought that the least likely person to do that is Gene Segura, as much as I hate to admit that. <laughs> I think that Altuve hasn't yet hit the the decrease point in doubles. So you can see that his home runs are clearly increasing. He's clearly doing he's clearly figured out hitting and his doubles are roughly flat. I could see that going down as he becomes a little more mobile as people keep sliding into his ankles. Yeah, it, it I mean Altuve does he's probably second on this list in terms of like showing that aging curve as as you said he's flattening out but he's flattening out on the doubles increasing on the home runs. And then yeah, Anthony Rizzo actually plateaued at 24 um yeah. in his home run total and has actually been less, you know, the last couple of years, but his doubles total has been up. And maybe that's that's also the team that he's on, he doesn't have to hit. He doesn't have to be a masher right now. So I, I like these plots. Um, I'm curious to, to keep doing a little bit more of, like you said, two things, both the looking at the, the averages and then doing some of the breakouts on individual guys and seeing, especially at the top end for me, I'm really curious to think about thinking about keepers, you know, never too early to think about mm -hmm. next year um, and trying to suss out who's actually on a believable age curve because it's not you know there's no way that you can expect the same production from a guy next year that he had this year. The question is what direction does that production go? All right, so conclusions here. Um, I was not able to specifically say whether doubles age into home runs, but we are creating the tools to look at this and um, also at the same time help us understand what players are going to be good for the long term that's right exactly the type of stuff we like to do all right you about ready to wrap this sucker up let's do it and this is another forward-looking thing i gotta say my some of my uh analysis has fallen off in the past couple of weeks because i've been trying to ramp up some of the analytic tools for fantasy football drafts I'm more of a gut feeling kind of guy. The problem, this is why I don't like fantasy football, is that injuries mean so much more than they do in baseball. Yep, I I completely agree with that. I we'll leave it at there. We'll just we'll just leave it at that. So you you have any thoughts on the players' weekend? I mean, only the same thoughts that I had before, which is that I wish the Twins hats were better.
Um, I mean, I fully <laughs> bought into I fully bought into the marketing gimmick of like, man, these are some good looking, interesting hats. Like, get me a new hat. I'm psyched about this. And then I look at the twins one. and It's like, come on, you couldn't have given me the Cubs hat. Or even like the Mariners crazy color hat. Like you couldn't give me that. You had to give me just the red hat with the weird TC logo and the Minnesota outline. Yeah. What happened with that cookie cutter? Like why did it cut off the T and the C? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. What was wrong with just having Minnesota there? Why did it have to cut the T and the C? Yeah. I, I don't understand. That was, that was pretty bad. Okay. You want to introduce this? this review session here yeah this is this is my my doing so i will i will bring this up um there's been a rash of seeing salt in desserts and this has been really led by salted caramels but you see things like chocolate desserts that have flaky sea salt on them what do you think are you buying in on this trend i can get behind some salted caramels every once in a while i like to you know, I don't eat that much salt in my diet, so I'll I'll have a little bit of extra sodium in my sweets. Why not? Brings out the flavor a little bit. I really don't like a like touch of sea salt in my dark chocolate bar. I don't like it when that is the flavor. Um, but you know, I actually do. I do like. I do like a little bit of salt in in the caramel, and I think that it just it just it's gone too far. It's gone a little too far. I knew. Okay, all right. I knew you and your fancy pants would appreciate that. I I am out. I don't. Why don't I want any salt in my dessert? Like, give me give me just straight sweets all the time. I think this is you know me cutting my dessert about? chops <laughs> on. Me cutting my dessert chops on gummy bears. Like, if I'm going sweet, I want sweet. <laughs> if I'm going to go salty, I'm going to go salty. Could you imagine putting flaky sea salt on gummy bears? No. Get out of here. I don't want any of that. This does sort of bring to mind another debate, though, that I don't want to tease it too much, but I might get a little sense here for where it's going to go. Sea salt? As, as opposed to... As opposed to salt? <laughs> oh, I... I I would much prefer my my salt to come from the sea as opposed to Morton the the manufacturing plant yeah everything except for pretzel salt do not put sea salt on my pretzels oh yeah get that rock salt in there nice and good yep. yeah yep. you should probably same stuff you used to put on your to melt your ice in the winter but yeah go ahead <laughs> just without the blue dye <laughs> yeah <laughs> you remember um going by the salt flats beforehand when we went by that Morton factory and there was just salt just pouring out of yes. the seat. That was amazing. <laughs> just an unreal sight. It was amazing. And it's like going directly into the McDonald's. Ugh. Yeah. Okay, we'll, we'll tackle salt another day. Time for a little housekeeping. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter, Fantasy Tools, Mind the Z. Thank you, Mild Manor, for letting us use your tunes. Be sure to follow them on SoundCloud and Facebook. Feel free to email us with questions or comments. Send us messages at fantasy.tools at gmail.com. Again, mind the Z. All I've got left is worst of luck to you, buddy. Worst of luck to you, too. Yeah!